Fans about films. Nerdy and informative. Dear listeners, and a very warm welcome to the newest episode of Fans About Films. Glad you have found your way back here. I'm, of course, your host, Lasse Vogt. Very, very thankful that you listened to this again. And uh, in tradition, I found somebody on Twitter. I wanted to have her as a guest, and uh, it took quite a time to pick a date. But now we have it ready. So please, 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 I am very, very happy to introduce you. Or maybe you can just introduce yourself. And here we go. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Emily Mason. I am your average film score enthusiast. I, I am from Seattle, Washington. Since I was about five years old, I can remember listening to movie scores that my parents owned. I spent middle school begging my band teacher to let us play Lord of the Rings and Pirates of the Caribbean. Side note, yes, he did eventually give in and we played both, though we did not play them very well, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, as long as I can remember, the first thing I have noticed in a film is the music. Uh, Lassa and I discovered one another on Twitter over our mutual adoration for John Powell's incredible score for Solo, A Star Wars Story. And I'm super excited to get to be on Fans About Films today to talk about one of my all-time favorite composers, John Powell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at lonely underscore tourist. And I am really thankful for this opportunity, Lassa, to be here today. So thank you. You're welcome, and I thank you very much that you uh, were so quick to uh, agree on being a guest on here. Yeah, it was. Uh, I know it took us a while to schedule it, but I'm glad I'm here and excited to talk to talk about uh, John Powell. So. Oh yes, yes, absolutely. I wanted to do this <laughs> this kind of episode for a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, because it's it's kind of uh, it's not really obligatory. It's just something I uh, wanted to do because yes, John Powell is uh, one of my favorites. Also, he is actually one of uh, the first instances where I recognized film music and where I was like, oh, this okay. is very very good. I want to listen to more of this. Um, sure. Bef before we get into the topic, um, is it true that it rains a lot in Seattle? It does rain a lot in Seattle. Um, I would say it's comparable. I did go, I did get a chance to visit uh, England and Germany. And I would say England was comparable with the amount of rain, but it definitely rains a lot. <laughs> and it's, oh. it's days on end, very gray days. Uh, but I don't mind it personally. <laughs> Just uh, 
when you just have an excuse to stay home and listen to some film music. Exactly, exactly. You have been to Germany, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I had a great time. I went with a friend who has family there, so it was nice to uh, stay with people who knew the area. We were in Munich, so that was really fun. Oh yeah, Munich is a great place to uh, to be. Where, uh, when exactly did you go? How many years ago? That was September 2015, so we were there for Oktoberfest, so I got oh. that experience. I see, I see. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's oh, that's great. It's always yeah. always great to 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 figure something out about your guests. Yeah. You know? Oh, oh, awesome! You you have been to Germany actually, so you know yeah. a little bit of a. Do you know the language a little bit? I know it's quite difficult. I don't. I I really don't. My friend does, but I she, I'm glad I had her with me because she was able to to help me. But yeah, I don't know much. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, it's a but that's the magic of English. You. Uh, are certain that you will be able to uh, that people will be able to understand you all around the world right yeah <laughs> so um going back to our wonderful film music related topic uh, can you remember the first time you encountered one of uh, john powell's scores yeah so i think for me uh that goes back to oh goodness i would say i was about 10 years old And that would have been Chicken Run. And I remember seeing this movie and I loved it. Uh, at the time, I wouldn't say, I definitely liked film music. I don't know that I had owned any at that particular time. I, I hadn't gone out and purchased any, uh, but I think all of that kind of happened when Lord of the Rings came out. But I remember Chicken Run, and I just remember watching that movie and how joyful it made me feel. And now looking back on it and listening to John Powell's score for it, I can see why I had that reaction, I guess. Because I, I guess it just goes back to the idea of like how, how much a film score has to do with your experience of the movie. That's amazing because that's exactly my story as well. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't know if it is the same age. Maybe I was a little bit younger, but I can't quite remember. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's exactly the same. That was the first time I discovered John Powell and this amazing work. That that was of course his one of his collaborations with uh, Harry Gregson Williams. And, yeah. Uh, the, yes. The, uh, That that score that actually was one of the scores that made me fall in love with um, with film music and uh, it's it's interesting to to see the, the score now in retrospect because I think in the I heard in the audio commentary that the director said they especially the opening scene and the opening credits montage they scored that with uh, Irma Bernstein's The Great Escape. Okay. As, as a temp track and uh, Greg Williams and, pa and Powell they had it was quite difficult uh, for them to deviate from that and do their own thing and if you listen to The Great Escape you can certainly hear uh, the inspiration for Chicken Run Thank you. 
actually think with Chicken Run they managed to they managed to do a better job. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I well, thinking back on The Great Escape, which I've definitely seen, at least for me, Chicken Run is definitely more memorable, but I can see how that would have been, because the, the, the scores are pretty pretty similar in that opening track. Well, the, the storyline is, I mean, yes, of course. basically the same. So. It was amazing uh, to also how they... Um, I, how I interpreted the kazoos they use in the score, because to me it sounds like if chicken were be able to whistle. Yeah. I don't know if that was That's the intention, great. but it comes across that way. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, f I feel like uh, John Powell, through his animated scores, has been able to use some some pretty different instruments, and he likes to experiment, and I really like that. Yeah. Absolutely, but yeah, um, Chicken Run, Chicken Run is great. You know the the, the evil theme, uh, Mrs. Tweedy, yeah. the, the wonderful action music, and it's it's regarded as one of his very best works, and it is one of my favorite scores of all time. And um, I think a lot of people still don't know it. And it was funny uh, last year I visited a concert in Hamburg, um, and he uh, he in person was there, and they they played oh, cool. uh, many of his uh, many suits from uh, his scores, and also uh, quite to my surprise they played Chicken Run, and they actually cool. had a, a section of the choir playing the kazoos live and s sitting in that audience, you know, this this uh, highly sophisticated uh, music audience, I guess, and hearing them play kazoos, it was quite the juxtaposition, and I loved it. That's, that's amazing. That yeah. is amazing. <laughs> I wish I could have seen that. Uh, it, it was absolutely fantastic to, to sit there and listen to the music I grew up with live, because the, the, orchestra, like the orchestra did a brilliant job um, Making it making it sound almost exactly like the film versions, which was uh, quite astounding. That's very cool. <laughs> Absolutely, I would love to see that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it, it's it's quite interesting to see how uh, I was trying to do some research over the years to see where exactly he came from and how he started. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he started as as many composers do nowadays in the. Uh, reigns of Hans Zimmer and his uh, back then it was still called Media Ventures and he worked as an uh, additional composer on some stuff he worked on Thin Red Line he's credited there as an additional composer but not much uh, shortly after that he started with his first big solo score Face Off
Okay, so I have not seen Face Off, and I don't believe I've heard the music either. I think that's one of my John Powell blind spots. <laughs> it's very, very interesting uh, to hear because it is a combination of both of the styles he would uh, later do. Um, it has his, uh, his whimsical orchestra stuff, but it also has this um, electronic edge that he would later... Uh, drive to perfection with uh, the Bourne series and all of that. It's it's a very interesting. It's very interesting to hear it now, and um, but it's it's certainly it's it's uh, it's no wonder that that score put him on on the map uh, of many many people because the music actually plays a big part in it. Which uh, and one of the funny parts is uh, the the uh, the opening credits are going alongside with the opening scenes of a movie, and his name, music by John Powell, shows up exactly when um, the hallelujah plays, <gasps> and we have uh, the. Uh, that, that's that's now a meme. How uh, Nicholas Cage is in that uh, priest outfit and uh, right. singing along uh, with with the choir downstairs. But that that's actually great to to see the the music credit pop up right when that cue starts. I'm now gonna watch it just for that moment. That sounds yes. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool, especially if the opening moments are quite interesting. They, they 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 sound so lovely, but also kind of dangerous. It's. Uh, it's something to behold. And um, there's, there's another score he did uh, the following year, also with some uh, producing assistance with Hans Zimmer. It's a forgotten uh, live-action Disney film called Endurance. Have you ever heard of that? I believe I've heard of it. I don't know that I've seen it. It's this, um, it's this inspirational sports movie, kind of like, I, I don't know if it's in the same style of like a cool runnings, but it's a similar okay. uh, type of story about, uh, about uh, you know, a runner coming from Africa and all of that and wanting to uh, participate in a, in a race. And it's great how John Powell uh, combines, you know, that, uh, that kind of um, uh, no, uh, cultural uh, choir and uh, drum work with his um, certain... Uh, percussion and, uh, and and brass writing. It's it's very very interesting to hear that style this early in his career. That's very cool. I am writing those both down so that I can go experience <laughs> those. Absolutely. This. No, and endurance is a it's a very very cool score uh, with with a lot of his uh, his uh, things uh, his tropes already present, and um, I think he 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 certainly found his direction when he got hired with Harry Gregson Williams on ants.
Dance is another one of my blind spots as well. That is one movie that I did not see as a kid. Yeah. I don't know quite how that happened because I remember when it came out, but I just never, never got around to seeing that one. I think I was probably too caught up with A Bug's Life. Yeah. I'm going to say they were around the same time. I think Ants came out first, but they came out uh, in a short amount of time with each other. There was this whole thing where Jeffrey Katzenberg had left Disney to uh, uh, co-fund the DreamWorks animation stuff. And he said that uh, he had the original idea. And uh, so there was just this, uh, these two similar projects going on in, in both animation studios. But Ants, uh, man, I think Ants managed to be the more distinct movie. Uh, the, the character design is very interesting, how they managed to capture the likeness of the voice actors. Um, uh, uh, especially uh, people like uh, Sharon Stone, you can see there, and Woody sure. Allen, um, Christopher Walken is there, and uh, Sylvester Stallone. You can, even if you don't hear the voices, you can just look at the character design and see who voiced what. <laughs> okay, yeah, I do. I Now that you mention that, I do remember a little bit about that controversy when it was going on. Mm. The music is, it's also a prototype of what will later come. It's much more uh, electronically enhanced and okay. uh, there, there's a lot of whistling going on. It's its so much fun. It's a very, very cool score. I think uh, Chicken Run a few years later, that was certainly the, the better score, but uh, it's its nice to see how uh, all of that started and this, this great collaboration that lasted for uh, two more films. Yeah, that's it's it's certainly it's certainly something to behold. So I think yeah. if you haven't if you haven't listened to it already, you you need to. I will definitely do so. And I I was recently reading, I believe it was an article on Polygon with John Powell, and he was talking about working with Hans Zimmer. And they asked him, you know, what influences have you got from him? And he said, well, obviously his music is, can be electronic. It can be, it's, you know, it's a variety of things. And he basically said, I also believe that music should not have any limits. And I think that really shows in his scores over time and just the different ways he's experimented and different instruments he's used, like you said, with the kazoos. And it's just, it's so fun to listen to all of his different uh, scores, specifically, partly for that reason. So, Absolutely, totally. Um it's uh it's have you seen um speaking of Hans Zimmer that, that was his first uh uh collaboration with him as a you know as a co-composer uh The Road to El Dorado Okay I have not seen that one <laughs> <laughs> all, all the early stuff you haven't seen that's great <laughs> Yeah some of it I have not seen uh clearly 
but I do re- again. I do that. Isn't that the that's an animated film as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was okay. one of the last uh, DreamWorks uh, 2D animated films before they okay. settled onto a 3D. Okay. It's certainly a fun film, and you can hear the John Powell influence. It's. Uh, I think. I think it was one of the cases where Hans Zimmer was supposed to compose alone, and then maybe John Powell just got involved later in the game. I'm not quite sure, okay. but uh, uh, you, you can you can certainly hear his uh, his tropes there as well in the heroic theme for the two uh, bumbling idiots who just uh, become gods for uh, for the uh, people of El Dorado and. <laughs> And uh, this this woman who quite uh, quickly realizes they are just frauds and tries to help them, while the this the Spanish, not the Spanish Inquisition, that's Monty Python. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Our chief weapon is surprise, surprise and fear, fear and surprise. Our two weapons are fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency. Our three weapons are fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. Our four, no. <laughs> Amongst our weapons. Amongst our weaponry are such elements as fear, surprise, I'll come in again. <laughs> the, 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 the Spanish warriors um, try to find their own way to the city of gold. It's it's a very very enjoyable film. It has a similar tone to the Princess Bride in some uh, aspects. Okay. And uh, the, the dialogue, the voice acting, it's very very well done, and the music uh, sounds pretty epic uh, in certain spots. <laughs> fun it looks like i have a lot of movies and music to look forward to watching (laughs) (laughs) absolutely but i i'm pretty certain you have seen shrek yes i have seen shrek that might have been my first uh cinematic experience with his music okay i think yeah i i think chicken run was probably probably mine but shrek as well i think is one of the more memorable when I look back on on movies that now for me Shrek wasn't a favorite of my childhood but for more widely known among kids my age everybody loves Shrek every that was a childhood staple of a movie for many people and that was that was him in Harry Griggs and Williams as well wasn't it yeah, exactly. Greg Williams uh, took over alone after that. I think okay. uh, Powell, uh, Powell got uh, a lot of other um, stuff to work on, and uh, Greg Williams just just stayed with uh, with a series by himself. And I think I think it was quite a difficult score to work on. They were kind of butting heads, uh, okay, uh, because they, they were trying to find the right tone um, for this kind of uh, fairy tale uh, mockery. 
sure. and uh, and you can hear you can hear both voices you can hear the uh, frantic brass writing of Powell and you can hear the uh, electronic stuff Gregson Williams likes to put in his scores and I think in in the first in the first movie it's certainly uh, the, the music is the most prominent and after that Gregson yeah. Williams uh, took the original themes and didn't really develop them but he came up with some great stuff on his own again sure yeah I I do I feel like I haven't heard the sequel scores for Shrek but the first one is I, that was probably one of the first film scores that I purchased. Um, I remember when I got my first iTunes account and I went crazy and buying all the <laughs> all of the the film music themes. And I I think that that was probably one of my first because that some beautiful music for for that film. <laughs> them i'm not that familiar with the uh, with the born scores i haven't seen any okay. of the films and i don't and i i just own the cds and that uh, th that the type of power that's not really my my cup of tea even though there's some uh, fun stuff going on but i like the more orchestral side of him not the uh, sure. the minimalistic stuff even though a lot of uh, people are fans of that too have you any relationship with the born scores or movies <laughs> I, I followed that series growing up. I do remember that was one of the scores that I purchased. Um, and I will say that I, I did watch quite a few action films, but I don't remember having a particular reaction to any other film scores except for the Bourne series. And I, I don't... At the time, I, I may not even have recognized that John Powell of the Bourne series also composed Chicken Run, because I wasn't that deep into it. But I remember, ha I know that I have the first and the second scores, and they were very memorable to me. And I, and I love the story as well, but just because that type of score is not necessarily something that I normally gravitate to. I think it's, you know, shows how good his scores were for those films because I I love them. And I still enjoy listening to them, but I just think they're very different and I've heard discussions before of how they've kind of, he kind of 
did something completely different with with action uh, scores when when he composed for those films and just the way he experimented and kind of went a different uh, route with those. Oh yeah, yeah. I think he was also a late replacement for first born. Uh, oh, was he? Yes, somebody. Oh, I didn't I, know that. Unfortunately, I can't remember who was uh, supposed to uh, compose it first, but I think the score was pretty much done, and then the filmmakers threw it out, and then John Powell had wow. only a very, very short amount of time wow. to uh, to compose it, and that's one of the reasons why that ensemble is so uh, stripped back, and the, the okay. music is so minimalistic, because there was... That just wasn't the time or the money for something bigger. Yeah, I can't. I I would be interested to hear the score that was thrown out, just because I can't imagine watching these films with any other score, because it's just so memorable to me. And the films themselves, you know, I grew up with them. I went to see, I think probably most of them in the theaters when they opened with my dad, and we had we just loved the series. So I can't. It would be hard for me to imagine anything different, I guess. I just, I really love the work he did for, for this series. Yeah, I, I have the same feeling as well with certain scores because that when you know, a composer coming late after another score was uh, ready to go and then just thrown out at the last minute, that happens all the time. And I'm always yeah. kind of uh, wondering um, wh how how it would have uh, sounded uh, under different circumstances. But at the same time, most of those replacement scores are so good that I actually really can't. I, uh, right. Where I was where I'm like, no, but but this music is actually really good. And there's, there's another case with John Powell coming in late, writing a score, and that was Pan from 2015. Okay. I didn't realize that he came in late uh, on that one, but I will say that though the movie has some some issues, that is one of my favorite John Powell scores. 
I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> absolutely love it. I could listen to it for days. Yes, yet <laughs> so uh, fun. Actually, in the uh, in the concert, he uh, they also played a suit of that score, uh-huh. and he um, revealed to the audience that uh, the time he had to compose that score was five weeks. Wow. Yes. That's mind blowing. I can't even imagine. And and he described uh, the working process the first in the first night when the director was supposed to come over and uh, listen to some of the material and he was working on the main theme at uh, five minutes before midnight he had the first note four minutes before midnight he had the uh, second note and then three minutes before midnight he had the third note and then at midnight he had the whole piano theme we hear at the very very beginning (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) and that is the the piano theme that's one of my favorite just like how it starts with that and then it kind of goes into this epic you know cue i i love i love that score I do too. It's so amazing. I, I listened. It was an interesting experience because I listened to the score first to some parts, and I was like, "This kind of sounds weird. I don't. I don't yeah. quite know." And then I watched the movie, and the they mixed the music so incredibly loud in the movie, which was great. Yeah, you, you can you can almost hear every note at uh, every point. And uh, when I watched the, the music actually uh, with the movie in context, I was like, oh, wow, this is really, really one of his best scores. And then I re-listened to it, the whole thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, now I, I do appreciate it way more. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm starting to realize how important the mix is when you see it in the theater. And I think that's a great example because I remember seeing that film. I took my nieces or nephews with me and we went to see that. And I just remember that was I I enjoyed the movie watching experience and I think it was so much because of the score and how it was yeah. so loud and it was so noticeable and instantly after that I think I went out and, and purchased it the, the, the ship flying sequence in the beginning oh, yeah. yep. that's just incredible when that uh, music kicks in that I didn't feel was great by any means, maybe not good by any means, it really made the movie better in that case for me. <laughs> to uh, to pardon the pun, it really elevated the film. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> Originally, it was supposed to be Dario Marianelli, uh, oh. who worked with a director several times before. And uh, during a test screening, the like some of the audiences pointed out the score to sound 
I don't know, maybe uh, they, they didn't like the music and then we immediately threw it out, I guess. I don't know how it sounded. Maybe it sounded, maybe he had much more of a European approach with some of it you still can hear and some of the circus inspired music. And uh, also Marinelli worked on the new song um, arrangements too and he's still credited for those uh, alongside okay. with Powell who also came in and added his little bit of... Um, power to it in terms of the orchestration of the of the modern songs <laughs> Yeah, when I think of Marianelli, uh, I think of, I guess Dunkirk. I don't. I I know I've I know I'm familiar with more of his scores, but I definitely think that this kind of movie, somebody like John Powell who can come in and just kind of let loose and and because he loves those, like you said, those powerful cues. I I don't. Yeah, it's the same case as The Bourne, where it's like, I can't imagine what this would be like. Mm. Absolutely. Marinelli did, uh, did one Dunkirk movie, like uh, one of those earlier er, sorry, ones? Sorry, not Dunkirk, Atonement. Oh, yeah, That's Atonement. what I was thinking okay. of, yeah. Because there, there, have, been several Dunkirk. Dunkirk, there <laughs> have been several Dunkirk movies, so I was just thinking you were uh, oh, you know referencing what? the early ones. I believe that he also did Darkest Hour. He did Darkest Hour, yes. yeah. Which is essentially uh, taking place in the Dunkirk universe, I guess. Right, right. I was getting a little mixed up. Oh yeah, no, no, no problem at all. But yeah, oh yeah, that's 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 funny coincidence indeed. Um, yeah, but um, we have talked about uh, several times now about his style and his, his certain voice. I, I think it's quite remarkable how he managed to kind of uh, get some help and inspiration uh, from Hans Zimmer as an assistant and additional composer and then he just found his own voice so incredibly cr quickly and nowadays you wouldn't even think about that he uh, was, you know, he, that he had uh, Zimmer as uh, a teacher but he's just I, I always describe him as the king of brass nobody writes mm -hmm. for brass like he does yeah, that's that's very very accurate Again, I, I listened to, I believe it was an audio interview with him. It may have been from Score the Podcast. And he was talking about how hard it is for him to hold back and to make minimal, you know, to, to be minimal and not make big statements. And that shows because when he does make big statements, it's like, it's so glorious. It's, <laughs> it's just, I, I love it. Absolutely. When there would be one criticism, it would be his score for X-Men The Last Stand, because there it sounds like he really can't stop. Uh, yeah. There he's like, oh, oh boy, this will be the only time I'm ever composing maybe for a comic book movie or something. <laughs> but but uh, I don't know what he was thinking, but he's just going all out. And it it's it's kind of I don't know, it's it's kind of too much in a lot of ways. There's just this huge sure. orchestra, percuss 
percussion, huge choir thrown in, and it's just, there isn't, and it's very, very well constructed, but there isn't really, um, how, how can I say it, there isn't enough detail in the orchestration, it kind of, it kind of becomes mush after a while, a little mm. bit uh, mushy for the ears, and so you're, uh, you, you are just kind of overwhelmed uh, by the music when you uh, listen to it uh, on its own. I think it works very well in the context of a movie, but he's just he it's 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 big big overkill in terms of scoring and uh, i i i partly enjoy it but also i see how maybe less is more sometimes <laughs> Yeah, well, like you said, it sounds like he he didn't know if he'd ever get to compose for another superhero movie again. Little did he know that he would get to compose uh, a Star Wars film. Yeah, absolutely. Or, uh, I mean, another superhero movie would be Hancock, which is a big big brand, but uh, it it certainly counts. And that that work is a lot of fun, too. I remember watching that uh, in the theater. I remember after seeing that instantly going out and to iTunes and, and buying several of the cues from that. I really, really love that score as well. was 2008 hancock in 2008 he had seven scores that wow that's a lot yeah that's insane (laughs) it is and it it was kind of it was all of his uh, all of his stuff um he we had uh, kung fu panda stop loss uh, jumper 
Horton hears a who, all of his styles uh, in, in a different uh, scores. Yeah, those are all very different, very different scores as well. That's that's <laughs> that's very impressive. But also, um, also when um, one of the, uh, I watched, I rewatched uh, Kung Fu Panda. I mean, I, I didn't watch it in the cinema. I watched it on DVD and the music stuck out to me. And then I saw, oh, Hans Zimmer and John Powell. And then I was like, oh, John Powell, that's the guy who did Chicken Run. So I immediately had that connection. Yeah, I started and, making those connections. <laughs> that was around the time where I did too. And um, I I listened to the score in isolation. I was like, I would be very interested who, uh, what came from who in this instance? Because I think stylistically, there's way more Powell in Kung Fu Panda than Zimmer. But they, they certainly worked uh, uh, in a you know in, in a in an equal collaboration on that. But you can hear you, you can hear Zimmer's influences in some of the string orchestrations and in the electronic enhancements too. But I think with Powell, it's just you know the brass and the choir. That's all him. I love that. I that is one that I should go back and revisit. Um, I do love that one, and I think I actually own it, but I haven't listened to it in quite a while. So oh. that'll be interesting for me now. I feel like since uh, that film came out, I have a lot more of a knowledge of the different, you know, styles. I guess of the different composers. So it'll be interesting to go back and revisit that, and just like you said, try to. Oh, yeah hear you know who's responsible for what it's it's one of my favorites uh, from both of them kung fu panda 2 they did together as well and uh, greatly expanded upon the material and then kung fu panda 3 he had some some sort of a break year and then uh, hans zimmer returned alone alongside with help uh, by uh, lawn balf uh, who, who did uh, some of the themes but um, you can clearly hear the the original t themes still show up and still show up and uh, Hans Zimmer really did his best to make you forget that John Powell wasn't uh, wasn't a part of the third one because musically it's really it's really quite uh, a more than solid follow-up to the first two okay yeah so um I I don't I don't know that I have heard the the sequels um well I've heard Kung Fu Panda 2 but the third, so the third Kung Fu Panda was just Hans Zimmer? Yeah, along, along with uh, some uh, additional composers too. Okay, okay. I don't think I've heard that one at all, oh, yeah, it's, actually. It's, it's, certain, it's certainly good. What's interesting is that uh, Hans Zimmer actually, uh, for the villain, he used as a theme uh, a musical statement of an, uh, of an Imagine Dragons song. Oh, interesting. Um, he, he just, he, he pretty much... Uh, and I don't know if he bought the rights, but they are credited as, uh, you know, it. this includes a part of this and this song. It's, uh, it's quite interesting to hear that riff as the theme of the villain.
strange that why doesn't the villain get an original theme but I think it actually works <laughs> Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I'm looking forward to uh, listening to that one as well. We can't talk about every single score. It would be impossible. Right, but we right. Just, we just mentioned some of his some of his best stuff, and I think um, I think listeners have uh, their favorites as well. I like the stuff he did for Ice Age. I think that's way more solid yeah. than the other two composers for the IJA series ever did. There's a p- particular uh, track from one of the Ice Age films films um called mammoths and that is one of my favorites it's just so big and you can just tell when you listen i i feel like when you listen to especially many of his animation scores um and he he's also said that he just loves the joy and the art of animation and how it allows him to be able to let go and kind of you know do exactly what you know, do whatever he wants. The possibilities are endless. And in that in that score specifically, I just feel like you can see him composing this and he's so happy. Like, it's just, it just makes me so happy to listen to that. Yeah, Mammoths, they played in the concert as well. Did they? It was, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great to hear that live. I mean, how, how could you not play that? And it's um, it, it's one of my favorite uh, pieces of his as well. Um, and um, I I think one, uh, one other thing I want to mention is because with the Happy Feet movies, everybody talks about the, the new song interpretations they do, but not a lot of people talk about the score. And I think that's actually one of his most impressive efforts because i i read that he used uh 
because you know um, music and uh, voices they play a big part in the story have you watched the happy feet movies i did see the first film when it came out mm -hmm. i believe i saw it in the movie theater um it wasn't my f it, it wasn't my favorite movie at all that actually <laughs> may be one of the movies that i was the closest to walking out of um but i and i honestly i don't remember the score uh oh okay i see but I think I think Happy Feet is such an interesting film because I think George Miller just told them, yeah, I want to make this animated Penguin movie and Penguins in that period of time were super big in the cinema for some reason. You had so many Penguin-related movies, it was insane. And uh, I think he just showed the studio some of the dance sequences and the studio was like, oh yeah, okay, it's fine. Do whatever you want. And then with the rest of the movie, he did this religious allegory, which I found so fascinating. Yeah, I I don't really remember much about the, the film itself. Um, but now that you say that, maybe I'd have a little bit of a different reaction now. Because that, yeah. that was many years ago when I saw it. And now that, <laughs> I mean, the fact that John Powell composed the score, I feel like I'm obligated to give it at least one more chance. Oh yeah, it's it's a very very interesting film. So full of uh, symbolism and interesting deep themes. It's it's really uh, quite astounding what they what they could do with that. And uh, musically, he used several choirs. And uh, at a certain point, you had like five hundred voices singing at the same time. <laughs> one of my my favorite parts of of his uh composing is his use of of choral music and choirs he's the king of brass but with choir he does his magic stuff as well yes absolutely i listened to a lot of his stuff and i i really liked it and then there was of course how to drain how to drain how to <laughs> <laughs> how to train your dragon which my story was I didn't see the movie in the theater. I was I don't know I maybe saw a trailer and I was like eh, whatever it's not my thing. I was uh, I was uh, near the end of my um, school and all of that and I was like no I, I'm way too old for this. And then uh, when the movie was on DVD, I just listened to the score on iTunes. I was like oh, a new John Powell score. I like John Powell. Let's see. And when I listened to the to this uh, little title called um uh you know um, this is burke and i 
stopped by the main theme and I was like, this this can't be real. This can't be real music. Yeah. And uh, 30 seconds later, the album was bought and the very next day I bought the film and we watched it twice in the same evening. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's that's very, very similar to my experience. I think I was definitely older when the first film came out and I was like, well, I think I'm good. I don't I don't need to go see that. And yeah, I just wasn't interested. Um, and I believe I also watched it on DVD, probably with one of my nieces or nephews. And and I I fell in love with it and much much of the reason for that is because of the score and like you did went out and bought the score right away uh that just just everything about that score from beginning to end there's not one part of it that i don't want to listen to yeah absolutely i i i just uh, gotta come out and say it right now the how to train your dragon trilogy that's his equivalent of howard shaw's lord of the rings trilogy absolutely and it's it's basically his Star Wars, and ironically, he scored a yeah. Star Wars movie too. Yeah. But um, this is just his. These are his legacy scores. This is the yeah. stuff that's made for forever, basically. This yeah. is just his uh, all of, all of these three scores. This is his um, uh, undefeated masterpiece. Absolutely, I could not agree more. They're just the way that over three films he has developed the music you know created new themes as the story has gone on to move the story on and created all these different themes for different characters and woven them all together throughout it you're so right it's so much it's so detailed and so just so specific much like lord of the rings and and Star Wars, I, I can yeah. agree with you more. This is like those probably, probably for me, music wise, this may actually, this may actually rank higher than Star Wars for me. Yes, um, for, for me too. Yeah, I don't know that anything will ever rank higher than Lord of the Rings. That's <laughs> that's kind of a that's yeah, but but I mean this is this is comparable, and for me to say that. Uh, coming from a trilogy of animated films, I never thought that I would say that. 
I honestly, I'm not, I don't gravitate toward animation or animated films just in general. It's just, it's not really my, my area, but I think that really these films and these scores have changed that for me because this, I just think it's, this trilogy is something very special. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's like you said, it's an animated trilogy and I love animated films anyway. I, I have a sure. different uh, approach to them than you do, but it's like, it, it's this, an, you know, it's this animated trilogy about Vikings and dragons and you have like 20 or 30 themes going on musically in there yeah. uh, throughout the whole uh, movies. It's, it's absolutely insane. And uh, I wanted to go, of course, uh, into the dragon movies a little bit more detail. What were some of the themes you picked out and uh, which ones are your favorites? I know that's sure. it's hard picking some, but uh, yeah, what's there, your take on those? Sure. There's so many. Um, and so the first one that I would say for me uh, is just incredibly beautiful and one of the more memorable love themes that I can think of just in cinema in general. And that's um, Astrid and Hiccup's theme. Uh, yeah. which is, I believe, first heard in Romantic Flight. And to kind of illustrate this this uh, theme for me, I was actually at a friend's wedding. This was around the time the first film came out. And I was waiting, you know, we're all waiting for the bride to, to walk down the aisle. And she starts walking down the aisle and Romantic Flight started playing <laughs> as she was walking down the aisle And just looking at her and her husband, you know, looking at her and or her, you know, her soon to be husband looking at her and and you already get kind of emotional at a wedding. And it was like, as soon as I heard the music, I'm like, oh, no, where are my tissues? Um, I just think that this this theme is so incredible. And the way that, you know, it's very prominent in the first film. And then with the third one you don't hear it as much, but it's there in very, you know, kind of subtle areas.
which is funny because you actually don't hear it first in Romantic Flight. You hear it earlier. Oh, do but you? Okay. Yes, you, you hear it when you uh, see Astrid for the very first time, when she puts the fire out and there's this big explosion behind her in the opening oh, scene. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But there's, uh, it's much more bombastic. And actually, Powell uh, said uh, in an interview uh, not not too long ago that uh, uh, when when he scored the movie, uh, there uh, uh, in her first entrance, there wasn't any music there. He didn't know what to put there. And then he scored the romantic flight uh, scene. And he was like, okay, now I have the theme. And then he went back to the first scene and just put it there with okay. uh, different orchestration and dynamic. And um, yeah, and so this is how uh, this came to be, and it's uh, it's it's great. It it works, it works well as her introduction music, and then it's also related to her. And the third one, they use it quite a bit in uh, in certain areas, and in 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 the in the second one, you don't hear it as much, uh, but but still, it's there. With some of the themes, they kind of it's kind of weird how some of the themes kind of uh, went away. But mm-hmm. uh, what uh, what are some of your other favorites and spots? Sure. So uh, for me, you know, I will say that The Hidden World had some incredible new themes that I love a lot. And I would say, I would say that the new village theme or the village hymn Mm -hmm. um, that can be heard, I believe in the first track, Legend Has It, is when you first hear it. And then eventually, um, it, I believe, is the, the primary thing of theme of uh, Once There Were Dragons. And I love this theme. I think it's, it's just, I, yeah. It, you know, and it, it's very different from the Burke theme. So he changed it um, to something pretty much completely different, even though you still hear the Burke theme. Um, but... I just love this theme so much. And in Once There Were Dragons, the way that he uses the choir. Oh, boy. To, uh, I mean, I I can't listen to that song without getting goosebumps every single time without fail. That was, that was quite funny because I listened to the third album a few a few days before I went to see the film, but I didn't listen to every track, which was great. I actually uh, made a point of stopping myself before the last few tracks because I I pretty much uh, expected that uh, it would have an emotional high point at the end, sure. and I didn't want to 
uh, and I didn't want the music to spoil those uh, for me be before I went to see it. And so the once there were dragons, uh, the first time I listened to that was when that scene starts and when you see the the snowy um, village and you hear that choir. I started crying in the oh, theater. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That was that was uh, that was me as well. It was uh, that especially like that ending. I just felt was so well done and that music was just it just elevated everything so much yeah absolutely and then and then later in the track he uh he, he uses the you know the the, the forbidden friendship theme mm -hmm. from the first one uh, again in, in kind of like as, as one of the uh, themes and, and i was like oh this is just unfair don't do this yeah, to us yeah <laughs> Yeah, I I saw that the third one. I went and saw it. Um, I went by myself, and it was interesting because looking, I kind of looked around at the other people in the theater, and it was an earlier showing, and so there weren't a ton of people in there. But there was not one child in that theater. It was all Ooh. adults, and I could see them with their tissues, like you know. And of course, I was in the same boat. But it was just very interesting to look around and and see. Uh, the audience that was watching, uh, clearly they had invested in the first films as well. They didn't have kids with them, but um, <laughs> they were there with their tissues, and and I know it had a profound effect on on not just me. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, that, that just shows you how powerful these movies can be. Even I mean, you know, animated films, that doesn't automatically mean they're for kids. It's just they're also yeah. accessible for kids. For sure. I mean, uh, not all animated movies are just uh, movies with a certain rating. When a movie is PG or, or just rated G, that, that doesn't mean that uh, adults can't enjoy them. And for me, it was kind of the other way around because I went to the family pre-screening and it was just packed. Uh, of families and kids and they were incredibly well behaved it, it it was like they also knew this is something very very important yeah. right now going on this uh, trilogy coming to an end and then the second time i uh, saw it with my little brother and then the cinema was uh, not quite as full but there wasn't any kid there then it was just adults which mm -hmm. i thought was also very interesting yeah that's very two very different experiences i love that you say that the kids kind of knew that this was an important occasion and they were on their best behavior because that's not always what you get when you go to a theater full of kids so uh, yeah that's very cool one of my favorites it's actually one theme that's very very underappreciated and not a lot of people talk about it and it's uh, much more prominent in the first film than in the second and third one um it's some uh, some people call it the determination theme i always sort of uh called it the um uh you know the the uh, stubborn viking theme because it always shows up when a viking kind of stands up for himself sure or is about to do or say something heroic and one of the uh, uh, for example, when uh, you can hear it very, very uh, clearly when in the, in the first film, when uh, Garba leaves the leaves the smithing uh, house and says to uh, to to Hicka, they they need me out there. So stay put here. <laughs> And then uh, you can hear the theme later when 
a hiccup decides to kill uh the dragon but he doesn't but he doesn't do it you can hear it in a very very slow and um uh, in, in a very slow and quiet uh, variation with of strings and horn. This is the determination theme or the stubborn Viking theme, as I like to call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's that's that's a fantastic theme as well. And there's so, I mean, when you told me, you know pick some of your your favorite themes and I started going back and kind of re-listening to the scores which I've listened to many times but I was like there's so many to choose from <laughs> there's I mean there's so many layers of of different themes but yeah I I love that that theme as well yeah it's it's it's, it's in, in the first one it shows up quite a few times also when um stoic it decides to to stay behind and fight for big dragon and then mm -hmm. Gaba comes with him and they uh take their stand before Hiccup arrives with the young dragon riders. And, and but it shows up quite a few times in the in the second one. I I think it only shows up about two or three times. And in the third one, we only play it one time. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting with the third film. Um, I, I heard him talking about how it was hard for him not to use more of the themes from the first two films and, and some of the original themes more prominently, but he felt that because they were kind of moving the story along and ending it, that he had to kind of hold back with doing that. And I feel like he did a great job because, for example, with um, Once There Were Dragons, you know, that's kind of the, the final one of the final songs on the score and he the way that he kind of holds back in, in using the main theme from the first film until the very end and he just goes for it and it's oh yeah just, the, the, the the flying theme yeah and and so it's interesting how you know he it was hard for him but he knew that he needed to hold back in in kind of 
bringing these themes into the third film too much. And he wrote a yeah. lot of new material for it, which... Yeah, the, 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 the Burke theme, or as I like to call it, the main theme, pretty mm -hmm. much. I think for me, it's the main theme of the series. Because I think it's also like the title theme of the, of the shows, of the TV shows. Okay. Um, they uh, he, he doesn't play it as much in the second one, but it shows up again a few times in the third one in heroic places sure. and uh especially when they first go to you know when they return to berg in the in the third movie and you see all of those dragons like my 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 jaw was a gap yeah when i when i saw that when i was like jesus christ this is this looks absolutely amazing and the music really sold that moment too <laughs> yeah absolutely i could not agree more Another uh, theme that I just thought, and this again is in the third film, is the hidden world theme. Yes. And I absolutely, I just, I think it's so fantastic. Um, it, sh I think it, it, so it shows up in one of the first tracks, I believe, mm -hmm. um, just very briefly. And then once we move on to when they actually enter the hidden world, which in my memory, that is some of the most impressive animation as yeah. they are flying into the hidden world. I was blown away by that. And he has the, um, he has Jonesy singing for part of the beginning of that. And, mm. you know, throughout the beginning, but, and then in comes the choir again with that, you know, they start singing this amazing, I, I don't, I can't even really explain it because I, it's just, I don't know, but I, I can't get enough of that.
sounds so otherworldly. It Actually, does. my my little brother, he's he's eleven right now. He is a big big fan of the um, Abzu um, um, game soundtrack by okay. Austin Wintory, and uh, the, he he said about that track that really sounds like Abzu. Okay. And uh, he's right. It has the same otherworldly, um, spheric uh, quality in the voices. And I I absolutely love it. It's great how he hints at the theme several times, but he doesn't bring it out until uh, the film truly deserves it. When uh, Also when the, the Furies first go into the hidden world and then when actually when Astrid and Hiccup um, find it for the very first time and fly right. into it and that that um that overture in that in that track um, with love comes a great waterfall oh yeah there's this point where the music just builds it gets kind of quiet and then it just it has this this big uh, booming brass and also what i really love about that and uh, uh, because his the orchestrations in his scores are always so detailed and layered. The horn voices in it, when uh, when it just uh, keeps building up to the theme before the choir kicks in, are just so amazing. I just love, uh, love those uh, uh, quick horns so much. For sure, his, gosh, yeah, his uh, his work with, like you said, with brass and it, it's some of the best. I yeah, I feel like absolutely. And also, when uh, later there's another choir statement once there were dragons when he sees um, Toothless again, mm-hmm. and it's it's this very mysterious. Oh, does he does he recognize him still? And uh, the, the music reflects that brilliantly. Speaking of the third uh, movie, one of my favorite new themes is um, I called it kind of like the uh, the, 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 the curious um, the curious love theme. It's not really the love theme for the Furies, but it's uh, it's the one that plays uh, during uh, when he makes his advances and during third date. Third it's date, much the yeah. Main, the main theme of the of the title, third date, because John Powell, uh, his name for it is the sex riff. Yeah. <laughs> oh that's good yeah that that um was was one of the one of mine as well uh the i called it kind of the love theme slash light fury motif because he kind of it seemed like he took both of those and kind of put them together for that particular Mm -hmm. track but i just i love that it's so fun yeah it's it's so playful and Mm -hmm. how he um 
how it has just constant variations. No statement sounds like the other. Also, when the war pipes and the Celtic flutes and fiddles yeah. come in, it's so so great. Also, how he um, later, there's in, in at the beginning of New New Tale, you hear this uh, very very quick um, string variation of a theme. And then it comes back uh, in the middle of Armada battle. Just uh, the, he he puts it into this huge action statement, which when I first heard that, I was like, this can't be real. <laughs> it goes back to just how he how he can take those themes, and he, it it just seems so effortless the way that he brings them back in certain scenes, and uh, I, yeah, it's very impressive. Yeah, that's that's one that's one great word to describe John Powell's career in general. Effortless, like yeah. how he how he really just puts out these great scores, and um, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of a shame because he used to be so incredibly uh, busy, and now he has only like maybe like one uh, at the most two scores per year uh, coming out. But I actually think that's not a bad thing because that uh, gives us something to look forward to and that makes his scores just all the more special. Yeah, for sure. And I think I I looked it up and it looks like the one that he has in the, in the works is uh, the new Call of the Wild adaptation. Yeah. Which... Really looking forward yeah, to that. Me too. It, it should be interesting. I don't... I feel like, because he, he's done a lot of animation, a lot of action, um, some superhero and a Star Wars score, but this is a little bit different. So I'm really interested to see what he will, what he'll come up with for this. It's going to be amazing, whatever he brings to yes, the table. Yes, I absolutely it's, it's, agree. It's going to be great. It um, will be. Yeah, just How to Turn Your Dragon is, is full of incredible themes and musical moments, and we can't we can't express it enough and dear people i think you've listened to the scores already but if you haven't to some of these like especially his his dragon stuff boy like so many great themes and that also how he uses uh the, the male choir in the first one how it's this this chant and you're ready the ships uh where he, how he uses the the male choir there it's it's so amazing <laughs>
and and just to kind of um, regarding his use of choir in How to Train Your Dragon, um, I so I I love when when a score uses choir, I instantly fall in love with it. I love <laughs> choral, you know, just. I grew up with both my siblings in choir, and I was in band. But I grew up one of their concerts, and I there's something about um, choral music that I just love. But when, so I believe it was on Instagram, and this was before quite a bit before the film came out. Um, he posted John Powell posted a uh, picture, and it was of him and the Eric Whitaker singers. And Mm -hmm. I have been familiar with Eric Whitaker for probably about as long. Well, no, that's not true. Probably last 10 years or so. And he's an American composer and conductor who composes works for choir, wind, symphony, and orchestra. And he has some incredible, incredible um, music with the Eric Whitaker singers. And he's taken actually uh, poetry by Robert Frost and uh, different poets and and composed music for it. Um, and so as soon as I saw that picture with John Powell saying that I'm, you know, recording with Eric Whitaker uh, for The Hidden World, I instantly, it, it just got that much more exciting for me. And I, he didn't let me down at all. Yeah. When I when I heard that Eric Whitaker was uh, attached to the third dragon, I was like, oh yes, yes, bring yeah. it on, because yeah, he's not please. no stranger to film music either. Right. He worked with Hans Zimmer on the uh, fourth uh, pirate score with a mermaid uh, choir and all of that. Yeah. Um, he wrote a lot of that, and it's uh, it's amazing how he uh, utilizes the voices. It was the right call. It's yeah, absolutely incredible how how like almost like church like the choir sounds mm-hmm. at certain points. Yeah, I could not agree more. It, he, yeah, it just, it just made it that much better. I mean, we we talked endlessly about how how great the dragon scores are. A lot of the themes are well known, and we talked about uh, some of our favorites. It's just, it's just too too many to choose from. But also, I wanted to talk briefly about his solo um, work. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, a solo, a Star Wars story, which uh, it's quite interesting because that that movie had a lot of uh, production troubles. So. Lord and Miller were fired after like 98% were already shot and then Ron Howard came in to to shoot like 80% again but John Powell was always attached as the composer to this even before Lord and Miller left okay I didn't realize that portion of it but um, yeah I it that was an interesting movie going into because I like you said there was so much turmoil with how the movie was made I didn't really know what to expect um, mm-hmm. But I remember the first time I went and saw that, I saw it multiple times in the theater, I believe. Yeah, me too. But me too. I saw it three times. Yeah. So the the first time just sitting in the theater with, with one of my best friends, one of my, you know, favorite people to watch Star Wars with, and we're watching it. And it was so absolutely fun. And, you know, I didn't really have any expectations for it because of that turmoil. So I know a lot of people didn't like the film in itself and it has its issues, of course, as any film does. But just, I just think that 
as I was sitting there, I was listening, and, and that was an instance where, for me, the, the score mix was really good, and, and I could hear it mm-hmm. so, so well. And um, it was just so fun. And it, yeah, I I was so impressed. And I guess I just didn't know what to expect, you know, because you have uh, John Williams coming in, writing a theme, and then... John Powell kind of taking the reins from that, but I, I didn't really know what to expect. And I was, I was so, so happy with, with his work on that as well. Yeah. I, I listened to the score before I went to see the movie again. And uh, one of the first pieces I listened to was a Corellia chase. And as, as soon as that, uh, that certain theme kicks in and I listened to the orchestration and the incredible percussion he puts into that, I actually, with an action track, I started crying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's actually how we kind of started following each other on Twitter as we were talking about how his score for that made us very emotional. exact same way and I think for me it was probably it's still when I listen to it um is the flying with Chewy at the very end when he kind of he kind of goes off into this like beautiful like in you know in a way it it's it's kind of thematically similar to the flight theme from How to Train Your Dragon where it's just this amazing like sense of freedom as they're flying off and I just remember that made me so emotional and I was, it made me cry and it still does when I listen to it. It's just so joyful. <laughs>
yeah, so, so many great themes in there. So how he uses some of the brasses, especially in the in the scene where this big monster chases them, like into the mall. Uh, yeah, that uh, that actually is some of some of the horn voices in there. It's it's like Elliot Goldenfall jumped in and orchestrated some of that. <laughs> The, the new themes he comes up with where at a, to a point where I was like was it really necessary for John Williams to write the main theme but I think yeah. actually that was one of the things John Powell insisted on he was he was kind of he was so afraid to step into the the, the, the mark of John Williams he was he feared that he wasn't up for the task and so he was very very thankful that the uh, maestro himself actually came and said here this is uh, this is you know the 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 main theme i have in mind and i will uh, record it and conduct it and then you have uh, your chance to go from there it's it's i, I don't know i think joe powell could have come up with a theme that would have been just as good yeah if not even better but it's it's great to see those two uh, collaborate and it shows how great john williams is in creating a theme that's so formable by uh, by different people where just john powell can do his own thing with it you first hear the uh, on the soundtrack album you first hear the john williams uh, original theme and then you hear in the second uh, title you hear john powell's version of it and it's the same theme but like the orchestration is just so different and he makes it his own Yeah, and I I totally agree that it really shows just really the the talent of both of them. Like you said, that uh, John Williams can come in and, and write something that he knows somebody else is gonna is gonna take and and kind of make their own. And I was listening to John Powell talking about that, and he was saying, you know, at one point John Williams said, you know, you need to just not be so reverent. I know that Star Wars is a big thing, but you've got to do your own thing and you've got to be yourself. And it, I think John Powell did exactly that because what he came up with, you know, and imagine going in and, and John Williams hands you a theme and says, I wrote this for this movie. So you can, <laughs> you can do your thing with it like that. That's gotta be, it's gotta be somewhat intimidating to follow yeah. in his footsteps. But I just think both of them just did a phenomenal job. Yeah, big big amount of pressure certainly. Absolutely, is, uh, and it's it, it's great even even when I mean John Powell, I'm I'm so glad that he uses the original themes uh, only to a minimum, like only mm -hmm. when it really fits, especially in 
Reminiscence Therapy uh, yeah. and some uh, great title, but uh, some and some other instances. But it's great how even when he uses uh, his own thematic material, it still sounds like Star Wars. It sounds like it's part of his universe. It really does. And uh, in Reminiscence Therapy uh, specifically, I remember sitting in the theater when um, that that part w was playing, and when he goes kind of into the asteroid field theme i was kind of like i was i was super into it and i was into the movie and i'm like oh this is great asteroid field theme and then he kind of went off and did his own thing he didn't really he didn't finish it but he kind of made it his own and i think that it, it could have been turned into something that people didn't really care for just because that theme is so iconic but what he did with it was amazing i just I just thought he did such a great job with that specifically, just making that his yeah. own. And it, you're right, it's, it still sounds it just still sounds like all of it belongs in the Star Wars universe. I know a lot of people really for some reason had a problem with the way the orchestration was done and all of that but I was like hey this is what we want from John Powell but it's still it's it's still it's still Star Wars I really I really don't get the criticism it sounds like yeah. Star Wars it's just it's it's just his style his orchestration and um, it's but but still um, he he manages to uh, combine those two things um, just without uh, any effort but you could tell he had fun and he Absolutely. was very determined determined in um making it making it a very very good score and it ended up being my favorite score of 2018 yeah for me as well it was by far my favorite score of of 2018 <laughs> as soon as i listened to it i was like there's no way i'm gonna listen to a score that's better than this yeah this year. absolutely <laughs> no way but also like it's it's so it's so sad because the first big score of 2019 also was one of his the third how to train your dragon mm -hmm. i was like it's so unfair I, I kind of expect it to be my number one again come the end of the year. I I don't I don't know if there will be any music that's that will come close, but I've listened to several scores now that might come close. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I would be interested to hear um what what those are. Um I yeah. I haven't had the I haven't listened to anything that for me is comparable, but I, I know that Star Wars, uh, Star Wars IX is coming out and, and that John Williams work for that is going to be his last. So that, that will definitely rival the hidden world for me, but I love the hidden world. Uh, yeah, so it absolutely. will be 
probably pretty close, to be honest. Now, some of us, of course, that came out uh, already, or I've listened uh, in part to of Shazam by Benjamin Warfish is actually really, really uh, cool. And Dumbo by Danny Elfman is just absolutely amazing. That's one of his best works in years. Um, so that might that might rival it uh, up until this point. But who knows what else uh, is coming out? Uh, I mean, of course, Star Wars, but also some other things and uh, how his his own score for Call of the Wild. Yeah, how it will turn out. Maybe it's, maybe it will be a tie uh, of some sorts. Yeah. But yes, um, it's 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 great. It's great what we can uh, get out of his uh, legacy and uh, how he manages still to surprise us every year. How it's like, I, I there's no way he can top this or can top this. But when he he still does it, and uh, as as long as he's there and uh, bringing uh, the animation genre to life, because he composes way more for animation than for live action, um, it's uh, he's always welcomed uh, in our ears and our hearts. Absolutely. I could not have said it better myself. <laughs> we didn't manage to talk about all of his work because that would have uh, taken forever. That would be, that would maybe rival my almost four-hour podcast about Pixar I did with Wendell Jones back in the day. Um, but uh, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want uh, any more episodes that long because they are a bitch to edit. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, this one, I will have uh, quite a lot uh, of editing to do because of all the music clips I want to show. Um, but yes, um, uh, before we say goodbye, thank you so much for being a guest on here. I had such a great, great fun uh, chatting with you about one of our uh, favorite composers and hearing one of your insights and favorite tracks. Um, absolute, I had a blast, absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had a great time and and there's not it's not very often that i can find somebody that i can talk about john powell with for for an hour <laughs> most people are like who <laughs> so uh yeah i'm i'm very grateful to have been able to chat with you and and i really enjoyed it and um i'm really looking forward to see what what he does uh this year and and in the years to come as well oh yes yes totally so um Where can people find you on the internet and your work or what else do you have to uh, do you have coming out or anything? I have a boring office job by day and I ha I listen to film scores um, in my spare time. So I like to talk about them on my Twitter account. Uh, I like films and I like film scores more. So you can find me on Twitter at uh, lonely underscore tourist. And uh, I would love to, to interact with anybody on there. Um, I am very grateful to have found people to talk about film scores with, because uh, that's not something that's super widely recognized by um, just people in everyday day life I have, I have found. So uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and uh, would love to, to talk with you on there. Great. Um, do, are you familiar with the podcast Sideshow Sound Theater? I have listened to a few episodes, yes. Um, and it is great. I'm I haven't I've I've gone into I've done a heard a lot of the track sounds um, as well as I've listened to quite a few of yours um, and I've listened to a lot of the score of the podcast. I haven't uh, I haven't gone too deep into Sideshow Sound, but it's definitely on my list of podcasts that I need to, to listen through. 
Oh yeah, definitely listen to the uh, to the score guides they do, where they just go uh, from track through track to, uh, of uh, of some soundtracks. I actually am very very prominently featured in the um, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End episode. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I will definitely do that. The, those episodes, also those I'm not in. They are they are just they are just great. They're, I know I know some of them, and not not in person, but uh, from the from the stuff we worked on. Well, I and, listened. Uh, I, I, talk... I listened to your episode with Ian Crab, which was yeah, was he's a was great, great guy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have always fun with him, and he uh, his interviews he does. It's uh, it's great. He 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 was actually the inspiration for me to try the composer interviews myself. And I'm I'm very thankful for his advice. I, I actually I actually asked him a couple of times like what um, what would you do in this situation? And he always had uh, had great uh, great advice for me. So yeah, uh, thank you, Ian, if you listen to this. <laughs> so um, uh, my stuff, of course, you can find on Facebook and Twitter at Lasse Vogt. I have uh, this podcast, Fans About Films. You can find on SoundCloud and iTunes. I have another podcast called It's a 90s Christmas Podcast. I host it with uh, my friend Lyle Perez. He is over in America too. And he, um, uh, we do, uh, we talk about Christmas nostalgia and its media. Um, uh, this Actually, this very night, we have another recording for that. And um, we, uh, we can also be found on uh, podomatic.com and on uh, iTunes. Um, it's, it's, it's certainly a lot of fun. We have gotten some great reviews for that. I also write German soundtrack reviews on scoregeek.wordpress.com and my YouTube channel is called Vet Deppert, where you can find my um, short films, my uh, German reviews, also some English stuff I do. Basically, every stupid stuff I made uh, during the past... I don't know, eight years maybe. But um, certainly come there and see. Again, I can only say thank you so much for showing up on here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, dear people, thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it and tell uh, tell us what some of your favorite uh, John Powell scores are or just scores in general. And I really hope uh, I can uh, greet Emily back uh, at some point in the future again. Yeah, I would love to be back at some point. And thank you, everybody, for listening to us. Great. So... Thanks to your listeners and goodbye. Goodbye.